0: Mark 10:46 through 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: In this series on Encountering Jesus, I have uh, frequently said it would be a good idea for us to imagine what it was like to be in the place where these kinds of things happen. Do you remember those comments I made along the way? This is one of those occasions where it's next to impossible to truly imagine this. We'll, We'll do our best, but here's what I mean. You really can't imagine being blind, can you? You really just don't know what it's like. I remember as a kid uh, wondering what it would be like and closing my eyes and wandering around my own house that I knew very well and banging into things and all that kind of stuff. You know, you would do things like that as a kid. But I don't know what it's like to be blind. I can't imagine it. But this man could. As a matter of fact, one time I uh, kind of uh, pretended like I was blind, but it was for a really good reason. Um, I was in high school and we had this musical and it was about blind Bartimaeus, the story. It was a great musical, and for whatever reason, I got in the lead role, and I was blind Bartimaeus. And so I had to sing and all that kind of stuff. And and, uh, I talked to some people about what it might look like to look like you were blind. And so I studied that and tried to come up with ways of looking like I was blind. And to my delight, after the show was over, people came to me and said, man, that was really eerie, especially for those of us who were sitting up front because it looked like you were blind. So I did a pretty good job, apparently, acting like I was blind, but I wasn't blind. I could see everybody. I was pretending. This man wasn't pretending. His life was a life of complete darkness. And unlike us... He had to make his way by begging for everything. As a matter of fact, for the people who saw blind Bartimaeus on this day when Jesus encountered him, they wouldn't have been surprised by this at all. The city was Jericho It was one of the cities on the way to Jerusalem, and it was routinely uh, used as a passing through point by pilgrims. As a matter of fact, you could have gotten to Jerusalem from different parts of Palestine more quickly, but routinely, the Jewish people would skirt around Samaria, people they didn't like, to go through Jericho and then to go up to Jerusalem. And so there were a lot of people who converged on this town. It was a wonderful, a beautiful town from what the scholars tell us, but as soon as you Walked into the town, there were beggars everywhere. Because that was the place. It was the hub of activity, so there you begged for what you needed. By the way, to be blind, among other things, was to be society's expendables. As a matter of fact, a blind person, can you imagine this? Couldn't even enter into temple worship, they wouldn't let him in the temple. They had to be on the outskirts. So you can see this man on the outskirts of the city crying out because he's blind and asking for alms for the poor. But on this day, his fate, as you know, changed forever because he heard the hubbub of the crowd. He knew from the voices that they were talking about Jesus who was coming to town. He knew from previous conversations with people who Jesus was, we Have reason to believe that he was anticipating Jesus coming. And when he heard, he got all excited. And he shouted out from along the road Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, the only time it's used in this particular gospel in Mark, a divine title. Son of David. Have mercy. And he said it again. Remember I said they were expendable, these folks? So what was the response of the crowd? Shut up, beggar. Be quiet, blind man. Find your place at the back of the crowd. Be quiet. And he would listen to none of them. And he shouted out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard him he stopped and he turned around and as he turned around the crowd said hey take heart man he's calling you get on your feet i'll help you up we'll take you to jesus you know if i was the blind man i would have reached out even without sight to slap one of them don't pretend like you like me You didn't care about me a moment ago. You want to be on the bandwagon now. You want me to be the object of some sort of healing miracle? Why are you so interested in helping me up now? But the blind man apparently didn't do that. Because he knew his great need. And he got up with the help of others. And he moved towards Jesus. When he got to where Jesus was. Jesus said something to him. He said, sir what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that an odd question? (laughs) I mean, it wouldn't have taken a divine character to figure this one out. The blind man is fumbling and bumbling his way forward with the help of others just to see Jesus, and he can't see him, and it's likely because the blind often did that. They reached up to touch the other, to feel them, because that was their form of sight. Suppose Jesus is standing there and the man is reaching up and touching him. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What an odd question. You know, it's possible. We just conjecture, don't we, about these things. It's possible that Jesus was saying that because he knew that the blind man, even though he was bold enough to shout out his name, might not have had the courage to say, I want to be healed of my blindness. He might have been thinking to himself, I'll go up there. And once he got up there, he froze and he said, I can't tell him. I can't say, please heal me. That's too big of a request. I'll just say to Jesus, Lord, you know I'm destitute. Can you help me out a little bit? Maybe. Or maybe Jesus said it to him because he wanted him to articulate his own need. He wanted him to speak the reality of his own condition. He wanted him to blurt out the words, Jesus, I'm hopeless. Please heal me. Maybe that's why Jesus asked the question the way he did. I'm not really sure, nor are any of us. What I am sure of is that this man knew his need. See, when Jesus called, it says, it's an interesting image, he threw his cloak aside. You know what that means? He basically threw aside everything that he owned. He had virtually nothing. Not only was he scorned by society, but frequently he was an outcast to his family. There was no social safety net for anybody who had these kind of conditions, lame or blind or mute. I mean, there was no handicap parking. You just made it on your own. There was no subsidy for you. If you were blind, you made it on your own. And the only way you could make it on your own was to beg. And he had a coat, and the coat was there beside him. and people put money in the coat. That was the only way he lived. And when Jesus called him, he just took the coat and threw it. You got to imagine there were coins in there. He just threw them away, and he ran towards Jesus. He understood his very, very deep need. That's it. Jesus healed him. End of story. That's a pretty quick sermon, isn't it? It's only 11.33. (laughs) But surely there's things that you could look at in the story and, and connect with your life, right? Oh, by the way, what I didn't tell you at the beginning was that this miracle appears in three of the four Gospels. And it's always interesting to me where the Gospel writers place certain miracles. They they don't place them in the exact same order that each of the others do. Sometimes we're not even sure the Gospel writers are giving a chronology, you know, like a timeline. But here's what's interesting. Each Gospel author that records this story records it as Jesus' last Miracle before he's crucified. And I'm thinking to myself, authors choose to place stories someplace for a reason. I mean, every time I preach, I got an outline. I know it looks like I don't use any notes, but I got some right there, the old things right there. I got an order. I have certain things in a particular order for a particular reason. I think the authors add this story in a particular order for a particular reason. You know what I think it is? Because for three years in Jesus' ministry, people had encountered him over and over again. People from high status and low status. People who needed healing and people who didn't. And routinely, people who encountered him would look at him. They would even see his miracles. And they would not see him. They did not have the ability to see who he was. They didn't realize he was the son of David. He was the son of the most high God. He was the one who would bring salvation. If you would just ask, they didn't see it, many of them. But in an ironic twist, the story seems to be placed here to emphasize this reality. Someone who has no physical sight at all can't see a blessed thing only hears the words of Jesus and he sees. Not just physical sight, he sees with his heart that Jesus is his only and his last hope. Oh Lord, have mercy on me. It stands as a pillar of faith. It stands as a reminder that all of us are in such a condition, that all of us are spiritually blind unless God opens our heart, that all of us are deeply needy. And when Jesus says, what is it do you need? Let's just tell him. Well, what about the story, other than that? I love um, the blind man's persistence, don't you? He had every reason to shut up. He had no power. Everybody was telling him to shut up, but he refused. I will not be quiet. Jesus is here and I need him. He was so persistent that he asked. He asked again and again. You know, this is not the first time we hear this in the New Testament, right? Jesus tells us that there was a, a widow who, again, one of the destitute in society who had nothing. And she continually returned to the same judge over and over again for a particular case, bugging him until finally Jesus said, this judge got so tired of this insistent widow that he gave in and he said, okay, I'll give you what you ask. And why did Jesus tell the story? He said, that's the way you're supposed to live before God, your heavenly father. Just be persistent. Continue to ask. Let me put it another way. He'll never be annoyed. He's your heavenly father. I've said it before, but one of the worst parts about being a father is growing old and your kids not depending on you as much as they used to. Right? They depended on me for everything before. And sometimes it was kind of annoying. I'm not God, right? I'm not perfect. Sometimes it was kind of annoying, but for the most part, I liked it. They depended on Daddy. And now they're gone. My son's in California, and the sons are even more this way. They don't need anybody's help. I love hearing from him, but he hardly ever asks for anything. My daughter's a little different. She lives in Indianapolis, and she asks whenever she wants. But, you know, (laughs) not as much as she once did. (laughs) And I kind of miss it. This man is persistent. He's like a child. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I love his persistence. And I love the fact that Jesus tells us we ought to do the same. You know, when you ask, especially for something, like physical healing or something you need, you know, right, that Jesus won't always say yes. I didn't always say yes. Jesus decides. In spite of the fact that the gospel seemed to imply that you ask anything in his name and he'll give it to you. We understand when we balance scripture. That that means he's not going to give you something that you don't need. And he's not going to give you the kind of eternal life which means you'll never die on this earth because you will but you'll find the resurrection he's not going to give you everything you ask for any more than a father would give a child everything they ask for and on occasion he gives you a hard answer i can remember reading for the first time the narrative of the apostle paul when he said he had this deep thorn in the flesh man i'd love to know what that thorn was why did not he tell us paul give us some more information He didn't, he just said he had this deep thorn in the flesh and he begged and begged God to take it away. And the answer was, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul said, I will boast in my weakness so that the grace and power of God will be manifest. There's sometimes, even in our persistence, that God says, no, not that. But you know what? (laughs) He never tells us not to ask. He says, continue to ask and to be persistent. That's the first thing I love about this story. second thing I notice about this story is there's no one, no one who's so insignificant that Jesus will overlook them. We got a bunch of those stories that precede this one. We got a leper who's a complete outcast and nobody could be around him or touch him. And Jesus reaches out with his physical hand and touches and heals. We have a woman who's bleeding, a hemorrhage has been bleeding for years and she would be on the outside of the tent, so to speak, because she's not welcome with a bleeding hemorrhage and Jesus reaches out and touches her. He does this for children. He does it for paralytics. He does it for people who are insignificant because nobody's so insignificant that Jesus won't touch them. I love that because I guarantee you, because of whatever circumstance in your life, there's somebody here this morning who's sitting there thinking, no, God doesn't really care about me. That's not true. This story tells another story. He cares deeply about you. The third thing I like about the story is just that Jesus asks the question, what do you want me to do? It's not like he doesn't know, right? Jesus knows. He wants, he wants the man and he wants you to name it. Well, let's just be straightforward. From where you sit right now, where you're walking through your life right now, what do you need from Jesus? What do you need? Ask him. It might not be a dramatic healing. That's okay. It might seem insignificant to others. Don't mind that. Just ask and be persistent. Are you in the midst of a cloud? (laughs) You just can't figure out what to do or where to go and you lack wisdom and insight? Just ask for wisdom and clarity and insight and keep asking. Maybe you're in the middle of ingrained sinful habits that are just tearing you up from the inside out and you feel absolutely helpless. Ask, Jesus, Son of David, Lord, have mercy. You know, maybe, maybe you're a person who's heard the gospel story over and again. And you think, that's just really amazing. That's, that's really cool, but I don't really get it. I've heard it, but I don't get it. Ask him to open your heart, so you can. I grew up, I, as you know, some of you know, in a, in a Christian family, wonderful Christian family. Um, I mean, I just swam in the ocean of faith all my life. I, I I knew the Bible. I mean, I went to seminary not to learn the Bible because I already knew it. I'm not saying that in the braggadocious. I just did. And I knew what God was about and I knew that Christ loved me and came to save me and redeem me and wanted me to follow Him. I knew all that. In early adolescence, I chose to reject all that. I said, I don't want God. There's other stuff attached to this God stuff and I don't want to be a part of it. Leave me alone. I'm walking away. I'm fine with me. And I had this serious time of rebellion in my life. I mean, I was a problem, a big problem to my parents and an embarrassment to them. My my mom goes to church here in first service. You ask her, she won't tell you the accurate story because the older I get, the better I get, and she forgets about all that kind of stuff. (laughs) But I was a mess, and I made life miserable for them. And honestly, I didn't want God to be a part of my life. See, what was ironic, though, is it wasn't like I didn't know because I knew it, knew all the stories. And I actually believed it, but I didn't want it. I remember sitting in one class after another. We used to have to take Bible classes in my high school. New Testament, Old Testament. I had all the answers. I've been working on that for a long time having all the answers and i still can't get over it but no (laughs) i i i i I knew the answers and i would spout them off and on one occasion after class a teacher that i respected a lot came up to me and they used to call me bobby back there Um, said bobby um, when are you going to get real and turn your life over to jesus And I can remember it as if it was yesterday. I said to him, Mr. Rice, that was his name, was Mr. Rice, I don't want to. Do You understand that? I know it, and I actually believe it, and I actually think other people ought to, but I don't want to. And as I told him, I've watched people growing up as a kid decide they're going to follow Jesus and get all emotional about it and then it's all gone and they have to do it all over again. They can't ever... I said, I'm not doing that, Mr. Rice. And I'm not going to pretend either. I'm not a good pretender. At least on some things. I'm not going to pretend. And he just listened to me. And then he said to me something that changed my life. He said, Bobby, (laughs) I got a request. I said, sure, what is it? He said, I know you don't want God. But will you just go home and every night from here out, just kneel down by your bed and pray this simple prayer. God, I don't want you. But will you open up my heart so I can desire you? Now you gotta understand how arrogant I was <laughs> and self centered. And I said to him, Sure, I'll do that. But I'm gonna tell you I don't mean it. He said, I don't care. Will you do it? See, yeah, I'll do it. And I did. You know the rest of the story, I'm here. It happens. Even when you don't understand and maybe even when you don't want it, God's grace will invade your life. So my question for you is where are you? In your stage of life? I don't know. It could, be, it could be just a great need. Maybe it's a lack of understanding and you just need to understand. Ask God. Maybe it's rebellion and you don't want God and you know you don't want God. Just say to God, look, I don't want you. So if you want me, you're going to have to do something on me because I don't want you. I've got great needs, God. Ask him. And he'll respond. Matter of fact, I can't promise you that if you ask for healing in a particular area of your life as to a physical need, God will say yes. But I know this. If you say, God... Allow my heart to be open to you so that I can love you. He won't say no. Let's pray. God, you're very gracious to us. Um, You pursue us when we don't pursue you. On occasion, we have uh, the good sense to acknowledge our need completely and thoroughly. And like the man who was blind, we shout out to you, Lord, have mercy. We pray, Lord, that this week you will take that prayer on those lips of that blind man and and make it our prayer, no matter where we are. Even if we've loved you and served you for years, we we know areas of great need, Lord, and let us cry out to you, Lord, have mercy. And there's someone here who doesn't understand, and it's still a real mystery to them what this thing called faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Help them. Even if it doesn't feel emotional to them, even if it feels like just words to them, help them to cry out to you and say, Lord, open my eyes. Have mercy. We're grateful, Lord, that if we do, you will. You'll never push us away. You'll always open up the eyes of our hearts so we can see you. Then, of course, you'll give us a choice to make about whether or not to follow you. So we pray for open hearts and open minds and a willingness to follow you through Christ our Lord. Amen.